Welcome to the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your employees all the information they need to be successful at their jobs. Now, let's get started with the show. Dr. Jeremy Weiss here, host of the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. Before I introduce the co-founder of Dr. Chrono, uh, Daniel Kivatinos, I am, you know, Daniel, I always like to mention other episodes people should check out on the podcast. Um, and we've had David Allen of Getting Things Done, which was a great one. I, I really like his book. Uh, Michael Gerber of The E-Myth. We had the past COO of Charity Water and so many more. So check those episodes out on the Process Breakdown podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. And if you've had team members ask you the same questions over and over again, and maybe the 10th time you spent explaining it, but there actually is a better way. There is a solution. Sweet Process is a software that makes it drop dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with existing staff. And Daniel, when I was talking to one of the owners, Owen, he told me not only do universities, banks, hospitals, and software companies use them, but there were first responder government agencies that use them in life or death situations to run their operations. So I'm like, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. You know, you could use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time so you can focus on growing and empowering your team. You could sign up for a free 14-day trial, no credit cards required. You go to sweetprocess.com. That's sweet like candy, S-W-E-E-T process.com. I am really excited to introduce today's guest, Daniel Kivatinos. Uh, he co-founded and grew a startup from two founders to hundreds of people working to fix healthcare. And Daniel believes that healthcare should be simple and accessible. And as co-founder and CEO, COO of Dr. Chrono, you can check him out at drchrono.com. It's D-R-C-H-R-O-N-O.com. Daniel drove brand vision and corporate strategy for over 13 years. Uh, Daniel, thanks for joining me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for, for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, one of the topics, since you know, a lot of COOs listen in, is uh, a topic, and your topic that we discussed was getting everyone on the same page. It's a simple statement. It's very hard to do. <laughs> so, you know, getting everyone on the same page. So we're going to talk through some examples in this episode of how Daniel and his company was able to work through getting everyone on the same page. And as we said before we hit record, there's a lot of friction points when this happens. And I'd like to, one of the things that led you to the White House, which we'll talk about in a second, is um, being innovative and making sure people understand that they can be innovative. So talk about that. Yeah, so... I think uh, innovation is honestly the reason why, uh, you know, my, my company was thriving. It really kind of, we, we, we rethought what healthcare could be like in the past healthcare was everything was on paper and doctors were charting on paper. They were writing prescriptions on paper and they were doing just about everything on paper and getting, and then they started using fax machines and that sort of thing. I think, um, Innovation is critical, not only, you know, to my company, but to every company, either you're, you know, we had this saying, you're either living, uh, you're either growing or you're dying as a company. And there's some real truth in that because you have 
um, if you're not creating new products for industry, you are going to start to lose customers to new innovative products that people want to buy. And I think that, you know, there's this book called The Innovator's Dilemma out there called, you know, you start making a lot of money and you create this really great product. And then if you can't make something more than that, that innovation tends to get eaten by better innovation out there. And you see it in other industries, like in the car industry, you can see like with Tesla and all these EVs coming out now, the, the guys who are not doing EV, they may lose out in 10, 20 years, meaning like they might just lose their whole market. Right. And it, it, it goes to, to many different industries. Like you look at, um, like blockbuster video, you remember when you could go into a store and you could, you know, go pick out a DVD. And, and that was amazing. And people were like, wow, this is amazing. I could go into the store. Prior to that, there was the movie industry, right? And, uh, you know, and then you had Netflix come, come around and they started shipping out DVDs at first. And then people started to get more comfortable with the web. Why didn't Blockbuster Video innovate, right? Like what went wrong there? And the same thing with like the whole uh, music industry. You could look at the music industry and say, they should have owned it all and had, you know, built out their own Spotify and built out their own Apple music. Why didn't they do it? A lot of it has to do with the innovators, innovators dilemma, which is I start making all this money from all these CDs and all these musicians. We're not going to go on the web. We don't want to do that. If you don't start to rethink things, someone else will come along and eat your lunch. Yeah. Um, Talk for a second. Um, Daniel, about Dr. Chrono and, and what you do as a company, so people understand a little bit. Yeah, so I'm, I'm one of the founders of Dr. Chrono, which is a medical records platform for physicians and for patients. Think of it as the operating system for a uh, medical practice to go live, like turn on a you know a practice and get they can start to see patients, they can start to chart and put documentation about those patients into the software. And then they could get paid for that software and they can message the patients and the patients can message them and <clears throat> prescriptions can be sent and labs can be ordered. Um, really, we wanted to enable the medical practice to use digital technology to run everything. And that was like the goal from the beginning was to really just help like create that process. It sounds like you, you, you've been in the medi medical world for a long time. So I, there's a lot of friction there. And, you know, you mentioned one company collaborate MD, which, you know, you had uh, used in the past, like, why would you use that? Right. And I think that's, you know, going into this industry, that was where I was kind of thinking, you know, why and how do we fix healthcare? And I think that was like, if you can go there into that one point, you could really start to build amazing things and have doctors do amazing things. And you know, what what type of clinics are ideal for for your platform or hospitals? What who what's like a size or typical size or type of clinic that uses Doctor Chrono? Yeah, so I think it's this was a uh, you know a, a debate when I was there. You know, the company has changed now. There's a um, a lot of different things that are going on in the company. Um, but when I was there, we had a debate around like, what kind of practices we should go after. And it was the, uh, the way that I kind of thought about things was let's 
let's go after the uh, common denominator, which is the actual user using the product. A lot of companies will go after like the corporate large yeah, the practice admin that would right. basically implement it, but you're going after directly to doctors. Right. So I think, you know, we went after like grassroots approach saying like, okay, if a doctor is looking for something, let's grab their attention. Let's have them feel and touch the product and start to see if it actually works for them. And it was uh, uh, initially for like one to five doctors, meaning like the doctor could find it. Um, you know, it was on the iPad, the iPhone, on the web. Say you just buy an iPhone and you're like, oh, this looks so cool. What can I do with this? You type in medical records and it, you know, try our app out. It instantaneously gives you like that. Oh, wow. I can use this for not just music. It actually can run my practice. And then we would get them involved and get them educated. And then they can start to use the product. But it is for every type of um, provider. So chiropractors. You know, gastroenterologists, neurologists, general practitioners, um, surgical groups, plastic surgery, um, you name it. It's for any different specialty. Any different specialty, but, um, you know, we, move, we were moving up market as we went. And um, some companies try to move down market. I think it's a harder ask for a company to, like, go really large and sell to corporate and then try to go down market to like the individual user. Like if you look at companies like Salesforce, they were selling to individual company, you know, salespeople, and then they started to get larger and larger and larger groups. Um, we took that approach to mm-hmm. versus the other, the other way. So let's talking about, you know, we talked about being innovative and, and you, did this and we'll talk a little about being innovative. How do you get everyone on the same page with that? What are some of the processes of actually doing that, getting everyone on the same page with being innovative? I think um, in the early days of the company, we would put as many whiteboards up as possible. So I learned that whiteboards are a really good way, you know, prior to COVID, we, I learned that if you had a whiteboard around, people would tend to utilize it. And it sounds so silly, but having a whiteboard and a marker allows uh, you to write an idea down, even a complex idea in a way very quickly that others would be able to instantaneously see that. And if the room has, say, 10 whiteboards in it, they could write their idea down and it doesn't get erased for a few days or a week or a month or, or like, you know, we've, we've kept stuff up for like two years because we write something down and be like, this is important. Let's execute on this. But we had different um, whiteboards and we would put, um, I called it like a micro OKR where you do like a weekly sprint of something. So in the early days of the company, when we were small, we would write down like on this board, okay, what is my goal this week? And how does it relate to everyone else's goal? And let's all execute on that. It was extremely effective in like, Everybody on Monday would look at that board and be like, was I able to accomplish those two things that I put on that board? Because, you know, as you go into your day, you know, customers will call you, you know, possible investors will reach out, um, new possible hires will reach out, you know, any issue comes up, like, you'd be surprised at how hard it is to retain focus. But if you have something written down on a whiteboard, and it's staring you in the face weekly, you it's 
it's apparent that you haven't executed on what really was for like the greater, bigger picture. Um, that was a, you know, we did that for like, honestly, probably four years in the early days of the company when it was just a few people. And it really, it really helped everyone gel. I also, you know, in the early, talking about the early days, why we got as big as we did as a company. Um, in the early days, we would also have like weekly uh, show and tells where everyone would show and tell like what they're working on if they had something relevant. And I would always, um, it was kind of uncomfortable, but like a lot of people didn't feel comfortable presenting. I would still make them present and it could be for a minute. It could be for 20 minutes, but you know, you get a few people that are working on things up there. It allowed the whole entire company to know like what everybody was working on. And it really, um, it fosters collaboration and input too, because, you know, a lot of innovation comes from outside industry, outside probably departments. You probably have different departments contributing to that person's idea that maybe they never thought of, I imagine. A hundred percent. I think it was, um, it was really insightful to see like what people were working on and how they were thinking about it. And, you know, sometimes you just kind of just hide, like people will hide and they don't want to communicate because it's stressful to present, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's a double-edged sword. I've seen people like terrified of presenting become amazing presenters. Like after doing a year, they're just like, let me go up there. I got four minutes. It's a muscle, right? I mean, you flex it and it becomes easier and easier. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but you know, I think different cultures, you know, cultivate different skill sets. And I think for me, I really just wanted people to be able to communicate um, effectively because I felt like it was an issue in, you know, past working experiences prior to starting my company. Yeah. I could see how these baked in processes help, you know, getting on the same page with innovation, having whiteboards around, Mm -hmm. making sure they put their goals on there. If we can see them, you know, contributing, um, collaborating, having the weekly show and tells, were there anything else that you, that was kind of baked in, to the culture and what you did that helped with people to get on the same page with being innovative? We would have a um, weekly like Monday meeting. And, you know, I think it's more all about getting on the same page or information exchange or getting to know people. And, uh, you know, as time went on, I realized like uh, it's not all about business. So meeting, you know, Sometimes I would have like uh, in the morning, people would come into the meeting and I would have a a silly question like, okay, let's do the weekend report. And everybody's like, why, why do we need a weekend report? Like what, what's the point of that? Like, I just want to get to work and let's talk about work. I think when like someone came in and like would tell us they, you know, just had a child, it's like, over the weekend, I just had a child, like everybody knew. And like, it made them feel really, connected connected you know or you know someone like would bring up really you know amazing things and like you know horrible things that happened to them i think it allowed people to work with them in a different way for that week and um the weekend report was just one you know tool in the toolkit um that i would use uh there were several questions that i i thought up over over time and then you kind of bring them up like 
in, in, in the beginning of a meeting and it allowed people to kind of gel more. And even doing that through Zoom, you know, I kept that going through Zoom. It really kept people really connected. Um, it, you know, another thing that I uh, would do is a lot of uh, meetings were either a walking meeting or like a sit down meeting. And you'd ask, like, do you want to do a walking meeting or a sit down meeting? And, you know, what, why would you want to go on a walking meeting? I think there's a lot of, um, what's the right wording? It, there's a lot of like thought, like productive thought that can come from, from walking side by side with somebody. I think when you're sitting, you know, in a, in a, it's almost an adversarial like situation where, and it's just the way that business is done. It's like, I'm sitting over here, you're sitting over there, you need resources, you know, and then you're coming to me to ask me for those resources and an ad, it's not that they want to be adversarial or all in the same. No, I totally see that. It's, it's, there's also a symbolic piece. When you say that, it makes me think, well, you're walking side by side with someone you're doing, you're going on that journey together and you're, you know, on the other end of the table and it is kind of not confrontational, but you are face to face. It's, it's not, it's, it, there's some kind of symbolic nature of, of doing that walking. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, you know, it goes back to like, you know, Plato and the, and the philosophers would, would do this. And, you know, you had mentioned Steve Jobs doing this. And, uh, you know, I, when I was in Y Combinator, the founder of Y Combinator would do this. Like he would say, is this a walking meeting, you know, or a in-person meeting? And I think Y Combinator had this idea of like office hours, which we also like brought in to our company, which was office hours. I think it's something that like colleges use for like students to like come in, you know, after hours, after the class to ask questions about like, why did I get a C plus or, you know, how do I get a better grade? Because I got a C plus. Like, I think at our company, we started to have office hours and then you could just say, this is a walking meeting or a sit down meeting. And then in the sit down meetings, we would always have whiteboards. Like they would just be there. And then if someone said, you know, I, uh, I want to reorg a department. Okay. What do you mean by that? And, you know, a lot of the times they didn't have a true plan, but they felt like it was needed to like discuss. So the whiteboard would allow people to just like draw and talk through and then, you know, get my buy-in and others buy-in because they could see that. And, you know, I think it allowed, you know, after, after the meeting, the whiteboard is still there. People would just take a picture on their iPhone and then we could execute on that like idea together. And uh, it was really just a really collaborative way, way to do things. And I think sometimes it's the simple things in life that allow success. It sounds so silly. It's like those silly, you know, the silly little things that like allow you to really um, work productively. Like I live, you know, pretty close to Google and when Google, you know, I could just walk around like right outside their campus and you'd see people like on these, like, I don't know. It was like a, it was like seven people on a bike. It was like one bike and they would just, <laughs> it sounds insane, but I'm like, why would they do that? It allowed them to get out of their environment, like get thinking, clear their head. And they're literally like talking to each other about biking. And it, when you're in such a radical state, you begin to think clearly. It's not, oh my God, this person's my boss. Oh my God, like, how am I going to ask them for X, Y, and Z? You, you start to like smile. You're like, you're smiling. It sounds, it sounds kind of funny, but it's, you know, it allows people to like think way differently 
and and Google was very big on bikes. Like I would just see bikes going everywhere. So the way that they designed their thing, you know, you got to go from building A to building B. They literally bikes everywhere. You just hop on a bike and you just ride four minutes to the other, to the other place. And your mind is already like, it just cleared. And I can see like the productivity there and, you know, things like that inspired me. So I feel like, how do you, how do you create innovation when, when, you know, in, in companies, there's a lot of negotiation, I'd call it, where it's, there's stressors that happen where people are not thinking clearly. And when that happens, they don't communicate. And when that happens and there's no community, you know, that communication breakdown happens and there's fear, that's a problem. And, you know, people are not getting on the same page. But. Yeah. And I want to, um, you know, Daniel, have you talk a little bit about, you know, with this, when you try and get everyone on the same page, you mentioned there is friction. And so I want you to walk through when there is a friction point, how do you get through that? You have these processes that almost avoid friction points in a way by having these, you know, walking meetings and, you know, um, weekend reports. So I'd love for you to talk about some of the friction points, but I just want to say what I love about what you said is anyone next week, tomorrow can implement these things. You know, you talked about whiteboards, having whiteboards, everyone, you know, doing a weekly show and tell, a weekend report, um, walking meetings and having office hours. You know, any company can implement these things and improve their, you know, getting everyone on the same page. So talk through when you get friction points, how do you work through that? I think, you know, when you're working to innovate, there will be friction and friction is, I've learned it's a good thing, but, you know, it is something that it just happens naturally because people don't see like why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, I'll give you one, one example, like a real life example of friction. You know, we, I fundamentally believe APIs are going to be part of the future of healthcare. Like people are going to start to transfer data in these really unique ways. And we didn't have an API there. You know, we did not have an API as a company and the sales team was cranking on sales and they wanted more features, right? Why would you build an API? And the friction point is, you know, why do something that is not creating revenue today for a company? And you start small, like an egg core, and you start with like the idea and you pull a little resource off a little bit, meaning like a developer and the developer can work on the idea and you iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate and iterate. And that friction is going to be there. Like, well, we have all of this other stuff to work on, but I think as uh, ideas start to snowball, like they get bigger and bigger and bigger and people start to see where you're going, that friction tends to go away. Mm. And I, you know, I was watching, um, what was it? Uh, Love it or hate it. There was a movie, uh, there's a, a Netflix show or a Hulu show called uh, We Crashed. I haven't seen it. Okay. It's about WeWork and, and the story of WeWork. But oh, I saw, okay. I'll have to check it out. I saw that friction in that, that, that show where one, you know, the co-founders like, I'm going to lease another office. And the other co-founder is like, why would we do that? We are not even done with this one. Like, what, what are you doing? But that, that friction, if you can work through that productively and the team is into doing it in a respectful way in the, the right direction of the company to scale, 
it is a, a, an amazing thing if people are all like culturally supporting each other um, in respectful ways. And, and that allows that, that growth, which is, it's, it's, it's really hard to do. It's, it's hard to say, you know, we're going to build an API. Like it's hard for people because people are like, that's not what we need, you know, but you push a little bit in that direction. And when you have like, even, even if you get like 5% support, that's enough. And, and that's where you can start to like get that momentum going for something. And, you know, because of the API, uh, we were invited to the white house, um, you know, president Obama, vice president Joe Biden at the time, you know, invited us there to talk about, uh, uh, the way that healthcare could change if we could all communicate data properly to, you know, if there's a cancer patient that needs data from this hospital to that hospital or this, you know, medical practice to this medical practice, the answer is through like APIs. And we went to the white house as like, you know, one of these innovative startups that was doing it and executing on it and innovators dilemma. A lot of the larger multi-billion dollar companies were not like working on like newer, modern APIs, which, you know, I think the world is moving in that direction. It's exciting to see, but that friction, you know, it made all of that happen. Yeah. Daniel, I want you to take the you know, last question um, is I want to hear about what your experience was like when you went to the white house, but just to reiterate, you know, everyone re-listen to this episode of the things that Daniel listed on getting everyone on the same page. And then if there is friction points, Daniel, what I heard from you was, you know, just do something very small and prove it out to everyone. And that gains momentum within the company because then once they see it small and it builds and builds, it's not such a big friction point. If you go all right off the bat, we're going to pull 10 developers on this APA project. You know, you first did it, proved it out at a small, got momentum, just as we you would in business. You do in your own company, it seems like, right? And you gain that momentum and everyone starts to buy into that because they see it working. So I love how you articulated that. Um, and anyone could follow that as far as if you have a friction point, pull a small resource, prove it out, or sometimes it probably disproves too. It's like, well, this didn't work. We only pulled a small resource. We'll try something else. Um, and this all brought you to being the first, one of the first to have a modern API that people can use in healthcare. It brought you to the White House. Um, so talk about, just to, to round things out, what was your experience like at the White House? So you're talking about the White House? In yeah. Uh, it was amazing. It was, a, it was a real honor to honestly be there. And I think, um, you know, for a, a couple of founders to really get to that point and, you know, have the government recognize you is, is phenomenal. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful and I was excited to be there, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, honestly. Daniel, I just want to be the first one to thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, everyone should check out Dr. Chrono, D-R-C-H-R-O-N-O. I know you have a blog also that's Kivatinos, K-I-V-A-T-I-N-O-S.com. And people check out Sweet Process, people check out the Process Breakdown Show. And thanks so much, Daniel, appreciate it. Awesome, thank you so much, Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. 
Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial. Hi, this is Owen, the CEO and co-founder here at Sweet Process. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast interview, uh, actually, you know what I want you to do? Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That way we get more people aware of the good stuff that you get here on this podcast. Again, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Looking forward to reading your review. Have a good day. That's my